recognizing it. If I move here, they move there. What is going to open things up where they could potentially checkmate me, right? So it's it's just you know the more that you do it, the more instinctual that it is in your decision making process. But also, you know, if you do fail, then you really didn't. As long as you take the time to learn from it and say, okay, why did that fail, and how did we miss that in our original modeling, and then the next time that. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Scott Sensenbrenner from Enzymetica. Scott, did I pronounce that correctly? You did, yes. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so I want to go back to this thing because there are so many entrepreneurs listening or innovators in a big company at some some division that over the next 10 years, they would like to quadruple whatever it is they're in charge of. In In the last part, we talked about this focus on quality and paying a price that some of your competitors wouldn't do because they're trying to protect their profit margins more so. What's another principle that you feel like maybe the competitors aren't doing and that's a reason that you guys have quadrupled in times when they haven't? Well, you know, it's it I think a lot of it goes to focus, right? You know, is is that you know, so many companies are trying to be all things and they're constantly chasing the next opportunity. And I've I've seen that so much throughout my tenure just throughout my my professional life is is that Everyone will get excited about a project and it's the next greatest thing, you know, and, and, and it's going to be transformative and you, you develop it, you launch it, and you look back at that company two years later and, it's, and that effort, you know, produced some fruit, but they've already moved on to six other things, right? And they really didn't become the best at what they could do for that effort, for that, you know, call it a, a brand new growth engine that was being created. And so I think it's, it's a more about, you know, really taking a step back and understanding who you are, what is your mission? And, you know, many times let's do fewer things better. Okay. And don't, don't always try to face that next opportunity at least until when you haven't, you know, been the best at, at what you've just launched or whatever initiative it is that you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, for somebody with total shiny penny syndrome, like me, you know, my, my ADD, I want to do whatever the next fun thing is. Any tips for people like me on helping, helping figure out how to get more excited about the next level of what I'm already doing instead of splitting efforts and, you know, it makes me think about that stoic quote from 2000 years ago about like, he who chases two rabbits catches neither. Yes. Well, you know, the reality is, 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 you know, for me, I guess, is it's all, all I could speak about. I spent the majority of my career in the dietary supplement industry. And by investing my career there, it's really helped me, you know, to develop a worldwide network of innovation. So, you know, and understanding within the general marketplace, what works, what doesn't. And, and, and as you layer all that experience on, you know, you can then be 
much more broad-based in looking at your business and, and constantly coming out with what I call continual innovation. So rather than just saying, hey, we launched something, it's successful. Well, you know, to me, it's like, hey, you know, what's next, right? So, you know, we, we've got many very successful products, but, you know, we are, are looking at, okay, how can we make it better? right? How can we improve efficacy, you know, and that's where, where the fun comes is, again, just specializing in what you do, and continually innovating. And, and with that, you'll find you will never get get bored. So I guess my next question there is, it actually comes back to another stoic quote i was there's this guy ryan holiday wrote the obstacle is the way in a bunch of great books and i've got his app so i get these quotes every day right and one of them one of them says if you wish to be good at something first believe you're bad at it and it's interesting because i was thinking about you know our new business that i'm building and the things that give me confidence to do it and i thought you know am i really pushing myself to continually get better or am i kind of sitting around telling myself i'm pretty good at this stuff you know, and that mental framework helped me to go, you know what, if I took the attitude that I'm bad at this compared to what's possible, I would, I would make different choices about how hard I'm trying to master new skill sets and how much studying I'm doing. How do you, when you guys are winning, like you win, what are some of the tricks? What are the things that you do to help keep yourself hungry? You know, it's, it's many times it's easy to look at the upside to say, why are we, we, we are doing something. And then you know, you can, you know, visualize the future success and what does that look like? You know, what does success look like? You know, you have to do that. That's, that's the overall, you know, reason of why. But I also take equal time and I play through in my mind, almost like a game of chess, what does failure look like with that effort? And, and, and playing out that failure in advance. And then, you know, really looking at it and saying, okay, if that happens, can I accept that failure? And if the answer is yes, then I feel much better about moving forward with it because now I've seen failure and now I, I can focus on, okay, what do we need, need to do to mitigate that failure from ever, ever happening? <laughs> but I'm comfortable with it. If it does, now let's, let's really focus on what can we do to make this successful? You know, I've heard that process described as a pre-mortem. I guess they do that at Amazon all the time. Before projects get launched, they come in and say, okay, the product failed. Why did it fail? And they make people brainstorm where, what was it that, you know, and it's interesting the like the lateral thinking or the creativity that that sparks, right? Well, th- well think about this. I mean, have you ever played chess, the game sure. of chess? Okay. So, you know, as you're playing that game, you're constantly playing out failure before you move, if you think about it. Because you're, you're constantly, you know, looking at the chess pieces and in your mind, you're visualizing it. If I move here, they move there. What is going to open things up where they could potentially checkmate me, right? So it's, it's just, you know, the more that you do it, the more instinctual that it is in your decision-making process, but also you know, if you do fail, then you really didn't, as long as you take the time to learn from it and say, okay, why did that fail? And how did we miss that in our original modeling? And then the next time that you do something, 
now you can take those learnings and that failure actually gets converted to a, a success story because you've been able to adapt your business so that you don't repeat what wasn't successful prior to. You know, I, I have often said that, you know, the majority of my success stories came from multiple failures and learning from them. And that's probably one of the greatest assets of my career was learning from failure. Yeah. Can you give us an example? Gosh, you know, I, I would say one of the things we were, we were looking for, you know, growth in the food, drug and mass market, you know, Walmart, for instance. Okay. And, you know, we, we developed a brand called me and my, and hired the best creative people, the best branding people. And we put everything in, into that and we launched it. But what we didn't successfully do was fund it with enough consumer awareness marketing on, you know, more, more, for instance, like, you know, television commercials and, and radio, you know, you know, where it takes tens of millions of dollars. We thought that we could succeed at the point of sale, right? So, you know, you will look at that and say, okay, let's don't repeat that, right? And so instead, we've taken the same approach now, where rather than going, you know, into maybe a mega retailer, we go to smaller retailers and we partner with them first and really try to create that success story and then build upon it. So rather than a top-down strategy, we do bottom-up. So, and is this the, like, when your team is going to Whole Foods and actually talking to the people that work at Whole Foods and trying to have them assist with that? Or what are some examples? Oh, so many examples. Uh, one of them actually is if you, if you went into Enzymetica and if you walk into our marketing department, I've got a big giant quote on the wall that says, a frog in, in the well doesn't understand the ocean. Okay. And, you know, it, you know what, what that really means for us is I want our marketing people to get outside of the well and go into the marketplace and collaborate and learn. And, you know, so that's a core thing for us that we constantly have to remind ourselves. It, and especially in today's world, because, you know, COVID has changed a lot and it's easy to assume things, but you really have to get in front of your customer, in front of your consumers, even if you don't have big big budgets, you know, you can't hire market research firms. Sometimes it's just getting out there yourself and, and or leveraging maybe your sales folks. We're constantly surveying our sales team of what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you learning? And that's some of the best research we get. So, so what does that look like? Is that a scheduled meeting where your marketing team is with salespeople? Is that just reminding them to talk to them throughout the month? Like, what does that look like in action? Well, uh, a lot of different ways, you know, we do, we do every Monday, we do team, team huddles and we've got all of our marketing and sales leadership there. And that huddle is really what are your goals and priorities for, for this week. But we also use that meeting for feedback from the marketplace, right? So we, you know, we're constantly getting up-to-date live info but we're, we're very methodical with the two. So we actually do formalized surveys that we give our reps 
and they will talk to our customers. And then we take that information and we spend a lot of time reviewing and understanding it, you know? So I'll give you one example of, you know, a lot of our sales reps are calling on independent health food stores and that's one of their primary job purposes. Well, with COVID, you can't do face-to-face meetings. You know, you've got masks and, and, and all this. So, you know, we were really trying to find, to, to determine how do we adapt our sales process in this dramatically changed world where you can't do face-to-face meetings per se. Yeah. So what'd you do? You know, we're, we're still adapting. What we have is we created a education department. So I brought on, on a team for that and we're doing a lot of digital trainings and, you know, digital education events. And then there's some other bigger things that I can't, I can't talk about yet that, that, you know, we're just about to be launching, but we did say that, you know, let's, let's use this as an opportunity to innovate and be the best at communicating to the marketplace. And, and we're constantly evolving that. When you think about that, being the best at communicating, how do you find out what your competitors are doing? How do you know whether your education is better than theirs? You know, it's, it's, we always look at the companies that we think are, are doing really well with education and, you know, what is it that they are doing that we're not? And we will talk to customers and gain feedback, you know, so we can really learn the architecture of, of, of what their strategy is, right? And then we'll take that learning and decide whether that fits within our own model, right? So, you know, again, it's, it's, it's continuously, you know, not just saying, hey, you know, we've been doing the same thing for years. We're very much about Let's 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 keep the innovation going beyond products, but also in our go-to-market strategies. So, what's an example of something you built educationally that you wouldn't have if you hadn't had feedback? We just made a new course on such and such, or like, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. In fact, we did exactly that. So, you know, we've got there's a a third-party group that is already connected to a lot of our retail customers. And, you know, we really, we've looked at that group in the past and, and we decided, no, we don't, you know, really need that. We've got other, other means to get to them. Well, we did invest in them. And, and so we actually fast-tracked that project about four, four months ago, and it's become very, very successful. So, you know, sometimes it's actually going back into maybe a, a playbook that you considered, you know, you know, three to five years ago. And looking at that again and, and pulling some of those things out of the closet, it's, it doesn't always have to be new. And, and just again, that one was on, that was product knowledge on a specific line or what was that one? Correct. That was, that is a marketplace platform that retail clerks in that case, they go online, they sign into it and they get an actual product education. There's a full, you know, kind of like a Zoom type presentation, although it's pre-recorded. And then if they, or as they go through that, that a training, they get a product benefit from us, you know, whether it's a discount, free product, whatever, whatever. And so when you say, when you say it's been really successful, is that, how are you measuring that? We can actually see how many participants have viewed that, that, that training module for instance. Okay. 
And I just think about like internal experiments. You know, we all read the innovation books and I'm lucky enough to interview a lot of the people that write those books and they talk about doing experiments. I'm interested, you know, with you guys having your stuff in, you know, 30,000 retail locations, do you set a goal ahead of time of we're hoping for about this many and then do you go back and measure it? Or what is that? What does that look like when you guys are deciding to invest in this one versus that one? How are you making those decisions and then how are you measuring them? Perspective. No, I'm saying even education. Hey, we've only got so many of us that work here. We can only build so many courses this month. How do we pick which ones we're going to build? And then how do we measure whether whether we did it correctly or not? Yeah, so one of the things we look at is is, is where do we think that that the story needs to be told, right? You know, and, you know, some of our, our products, like, you know, take our Lacto, for instance, that's very well understood. You know, it's, it's, it is a product that you take if you're, if you're consuming dairy. But when you look at something like our aquabiome fish oil line and it gets into the human microbiome, that really requires the whole story to be told for that marketplace to be knowledgeable about it. Or, you know, we've got a product called Heartburn Relief. And that was a multi-year development product to create, you know, the most efficacious, fast-acting, natural product for, for alleviating heartburn. And, you know, we, we put a lot of technology into that and it's very unique. Versus Do you mean into the manufacture of it? Into, into well, partially into the manufacturing of it because it, it was a difficult due to the fact that we don't use fillers and flowing agents. But it was, it was really where the time was spent was that we looked at the, you know, at the heartburn products, most of them are pharmaceutical based. And there's a lot of negative, negative results in those products in terms of what they're, what they're doing inside of your, your body. So we set out to look at, you know, what are our ingredients from nature that we can create the ultimate formula to provide heartburn relief and that's where the time you know took and and then you've got to test it and you've got to do it in the human human testing to make sure that you're actually getting what you're what you think that you're going to get out of that a product and again our heartburn relief one of the core ingredients in there is we get it from a very unique source of of algae and when you chew the chew that a product it's a a, a chewable product and you swallow it that algae actually creates a froth and it floats to the, to the top of your stomach and actually, you know, really mitigates acid from, from, you know, from, you know, burning either your, your esophagus or your upper, your, your upper digestive system. So my question on that is knowing that you don't want to compromise quality, knowing that you don't want to just put in filler and flowing agents and stuff like that, do you ever have to make this decision of, man, I don't think we can make that product at a price point that we can be competitive? Or even if our stuff is better, the way that those guys own that part of the customer mind, I don't think this is the battle for us. All the time we're doing that. And it's, it's you know, I, I'm, I'm very true in the fact that I'm not interested in launching a product if I don't know that it truly, it, it it absolutely has to be better than anything on in the marketplace today. If we can't say that and back it with our own, you know, science, then we're just wasting our time. And that also goes back to the mission of the company 
which is to help consumers find healthier options. If I felt that there was a given category and someone is over is 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 already kind of commanding it with the best on the planet, you know, I'm gonna, you know, you know, bow to them because they've already accomplished that goal. And there's so many opportunities for us. So, you know, we can pick and choose what we go after, and we don't have to be all things. So my question on that is how do you generate the humility in yourself? Because it takes courage to go up against big competitors. And you've obviously done that in certain categories. How do you maintain the humility to know that difference between this is going to be hard versus this is not the fight for us? Like, how do you, how do you keep that there when you could stray into hubris? You know, it's, it's part of it, I guess, might be a little bit of my own, own egos in that, you know, I came from very large companies. So you know, again, working for a Perigo, you know, I ran there. How, how just, big are they, by the way, for for somebody's reference? Today, they're probably, I would guess, six to eight, eight billion in sales. Today, we were, we were, we were probably around three and a half billion at the time. I ran their nutraceutical division, and you know, we did the majority of food, drug, and mass, you know, dietary supplements, you know, for like Walmart, Walgreens, etc. But it's, you know, from you know, being the commander of a large battleship like that. I know how they think. I I know my marketplace inside and out. And because, you know, you can think like like they do, right? With a large multi-billion dollar organization, especially publicly traded, is it's very difficult because you've got Wall Street and everyone's so paranoid about what what the street thinks that you're going to you're going to be shy around innovation because you know going back to the discussion of failure you know if you're a large publicly traded company you're you're going to be disclosing that to the wall street and there's expectations there that it's going to be tremendously successful so the, you know failure is something that is not acceptable and so the nature of that alone is going to cause you to hesitate and to really pick and choose your battles versus a smaller company like ours, you know, we don't, we are private, obviously. And so I don't, I don't answer to any of that. And that's why innovation can really come from us because, you know, we're not handcuffed, you know, and, and instead it's about, look, let's, let's, you know, bring to the market what we believe is the best and, and we're going to do everything to make it successful. And if it's not, so be it. You know, we, we've got a lot of other opportunities. I love it. Well, this has been a great interview. Maybe to end here, what's what's a final piece of advice you have for entrepreneurs? Gosh, you know, it's it's don't underestimate the time it's going to take you to get to where you want to be. And you always you you often hear the success stories of you know, people who launched a company and, you know, one year or three years later, it's doing a billion in sales. And, you know, look, it, it's, there are great examples of that. But the reality is, is that, you know, for most of us, it is a long and slow march. And don't, don't try to throw a bunch of Hail Marys trying to get to that success story and, and lose your focus in the process. Instead, you know, just plan your future that, you know, each year take a step-by-step approach and say, this year, here's our goal. Here's our mission. Maybe it's a, a focus on a certain growth engine. And then next year, move on to the next thing versus, you know, chasing squirrels. 
you know, let's try something for three months and then stop and it's not working and give up on it. I love it. Well, I appreciate you making the time to do this interview. Oh, well, thank you so much for taking uh, your time today. And uh, I also want to uh, thank, thank the audience for uh, listening. Well, everybody, please go to the Enzymatica website, check out their stuff. It's, it's been an education for me. So appreciate you making time. Bye, everyone.